Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. I sit down on the toilet and I'm just, I'm doubled over. And then that's when I hear splash. And then I look down, there's blood. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to get cleaned up. All while thinking, wow, did that really just happen? But it really just happened. I'm really awake right now. This is really what what life is now. We discuss pregnancy complications, miscarriages, stillbirths, and abortions in this episode. Listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we cover the heartbreaking story of Brittany Watts a Black woman from Ohio who was prosecuted after experiencing a pregnancy loss. And we highlight, in our own voice, National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda, a national-state partnership working to secure reproductive rights for all women, girls, and gender-expansive people. Welcome back to another episode of Distress and Disparities. We're happy to be back and bringing you another episode. Also, March marks the beginning of Women's History Month, and I feel like we already kicked off Women's History Month with last week's episode talking about Dr. Antoinette, but it's Women's History Month, Black History Month all the time around here because we are making Black women the priority, you know, making Black women's health a priority around here and telling our stories and focusing on organizations that are focused on improving the health of Black women. So we are centering ourselves around here. And the reality is that We, and I'm speaking about the public in general, do not discuss women's bodies or pregnancy unless we are talking about policing women's bodies or their death. And that's just unfortunate. You know, sexual and reproductive health, this should be talked about. People need education from an early age. um, Because oftentimes there's a misunderstanding and... The people in charge, especially men, they want to control what we do with our bodies. And it's just ridiculous. And, you know, studies show that they don't even have the information. They don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) No, they like know so little and they're never going to understand the experiences of a woman, of trans women, of so many people that then they are in control of and dictate, you know, this is what you can do with your body. And this is the healthcare that you can have access to. And it's just causing so much harm. Like literally Mm -hmm. people are existing in states where there is like no access to any reasonable reproductive health. Mm. And they have to travel across state lines thousands of miles away just to get like the bare minimum 
of healthcare. And then they mm-hmm. want to claim that like, oh, we're all about pro-life. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're not though. That's just nope. what you want to call it. You're all about control and you just want to control our bodies. You don't see us as anything other than, you know, a baby incubator. That's mm-hmm. that's all we are. Exactly. And it shouldn't be overlooked that the states with the most restrictive like abortion laws, they also have the worst maternal outcomes. They also have the highest populations of black women. Mm-hmm. You don't care about life. You don't f- care about the full spectrum of life from, you know, every stage of life to children having, you know, education, access to food, mm-hmm. um, what people are doing for work, access mm-hmm. to like resources. It's a full it's a full spectrum. Like you want people to have babies, but this is not a safe environment to bring up a child properly. So it's just like I don't get how there's this disconnect. You know, we yes, we people want to have babies, but we also want them to grow up in a safe environment, a uh, environment where they have a future. And you know, it's just it's just crazy. And if you haven't already listened or need a refresher, check out episode 22 um where we talk about pregnancy related prosecutions. And we also have an in-depth discussion about the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the negative implications, especially for Black women, whether, you know, whatever your choices are, whether you want a baby or you don't want a baby, this impacts women in general because they're trying to police our bodies, what we can and can't do. And, you know, just start there. And before we dive into this week's main discussion, I just want to provide some definitions and statistics about miscarriage. And just to provide clarity, I had to look this information up myself. Even as a nurse, the fields I work in now are like emergency medicine as well as like mental health. So some of this information I just wanted, I needed to refresh myself as well. What is a miscarriage? According to March of Dimes, a miscarriage, also called early pregnancy loss, is when there is a pregnancy loss before 20 weeks. For women who know they are pregnant, about 10 to 20 out of 100 pregnancies end in miscarriage. So that range is about 10 to 20%. And most miscarriages about eight out of 10 happen in the first trimester, which is before um, the 12 weeks of pregnancy. And miscarriages in the second trimester between 13 and 19 weeks happen in one, one out of five pregnancies. Once a pregnancy gets to about 20 weeks gestation, the loss rate, it drops down to less than 0.5%. And what is a stillbirth? Pregnancy loss that happens after 20 weeks is called a stillbirth. And a lot of times the term miscarriage and sometimes um, stillbirth and even like pregnancy loss is just kind of thrown around um, loosely. So that's why I wanted to take the time just to clarify these terms. And stillbirth can be further classified as either early, late, or term. So an early stillbirth 
is a fetal death occurring between 20 and 27 completed weeks of pregnancy. A late stillbirth occurs between 28 and 36 completed pregnancy weeks. And a term stillbirth occurs between 37 or more completed pregnancy weeks. And to check for fetal demise in the second trimester, an ultrasound examination is done to see if the baby is moving and growing. And fetal demise is diagnosed when the ultrasound examination shows no fetal heart rate or the baby's not growing in some cases. And the treatment of a second trimester loss is very different from an early miscarriage. So like we said, once you get to 20 weeks, there's different treatment options. And I just want to point out, it is typically not safe for a woman to wait for the pregnancy to deliver on its own with a second trimester loss. There is a high chance of having significant bleeding when a pregnancy in the second trimester delivers on its own at home. In the case of fetal demise, a dead fetus that has been in the uterus for four weeks can cause changes in the body's clotting system. These changes can put a woman at a much higher chance of significant bleeding if she waits for a long time after the fetal demise to deliver the pregnancy. So basically saying it's very important that you discuss the treatment options if you suffer a late-term pregnancy loss. And some of the treatment options, two of the treatment options, the most common ones include a cervical evacuation. So this procedure called dilation and evacuation, or sometimes I think they call it DNE, can be performed in the second trimester, typically up to 24 weeks. And surgical evacuation is the most common treatment women choose, and it involves removing the pregnancy through the cervix in the operating room while you're asleep. I've also heard the term for the surgical evacuation. I've also heard the term like medical abortion being thrown out, like it's a medically required abortion to basically remove the fetus from the body. So I have heard that term being used and thrown around. So that's why I wanted to look up the specific definition. And with the surgical evacuation, after this procedure, normal activity can typically resume the following day. And another type of procedure that is done is called a labor induction. With this procedure, this treatment uses medicines to cause the uterus to go into labor. For women with pregnancies beyond 24 weeks, this is the most common option. And you're typically admitted to a labor and delivery unit, and it may take one to two days for the uterus to go into labor and for the delivery to be complete. Up to 5% of women in the second trimester um, do not go into labor and need a surgical evacuation. So even if they try to do the labor induction, sometimes they may need um, surgical interventions just to make sure they remove, completely remove the fetus and all the afterbirth products like the placenta and things like that in any tissue. And just bringing up all of this information, 
I'll pause now. And Camille, do you have any questions? Like not being in like the medical field for me, this was like a little refresher from like over 10 years ago from taking my um, mother baby course. But like I said, I typically don't deal with, you know, pregnancy, you know, when a mom, or actually let me clarify, I work in the emergency department. So we do see women coming in, you know, fearing that they have a miscarriage or maybe like suffering a miscarriage and things like that. So I do deal with that, but I did need a like refresher course on induction and also um, the surgical evacuation. So just wanted to check in with you, with your understanding of all this. No, it like, it makes sense in the like the information you found and how you explained it makes sense to me. I don't think I have any questions. It's just like enlightening to sort of learn the various things. And then also sort of having like a brief understanding of very restrictive laws that are in place Mm -hmm. that then these things that need to occur, these medical interventions that need to happen when unfortunately there is fetal demise is is what is then even further harming women where it's just like you already have experienced, you know, your pregnancy is no longer viable. You've had a pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss and then you're forced to go through even more grief with this. And then of course, with this episode, we're going to talk about like then the extra levels and layers of then the law being, you know, applied to people in ridiculous situations where you're claiming that they intentionally did something or that they broke a law that is ridiculous to begin with. But it's just very eye-opening to like understand like all the things that happened. And we've discussed it before of like the statistics of the amount of people who experience this and the fact that it's not talked about a lot and it makes it for those people experiencing it and then others who just don't know anything about it think that it's like a rare occurrence at times or it can leave people feeling very alone in these experiences Mm -hmm. of pregnancy loss when like that is simply not the case. And I think a lot of people, if they were to think about it, either like actually know someone that has experienced, at least one person experienced a pregnancy loss, or they definitely are in contact with someone. They just not aware because they haven't felt Mm -hmm. comfortable enough to share it. Cause there's also this like shame tied to it because again, how our society is of viewing us as, you know, baby incubators, when you can't Mm -hmm. fulfill that sort of responsibility that, you know, you should be able to, then there's this shame attached to it, which is just, it's just so sad and so heartbreaking because like, you're not alone in these experiences if you have experienced it. So many people have, and it needs to be discussed more. And there needs to be laws that protect access to, medical interventions that are needed in these scenarios because you're endangering so many people and not only on the physical level, the mental level, the mental Mm -hmm. destruction that you are causing is just horrific. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there needs to be education at every level, even for healthcare providers with the laws changing so drastically and specifically with this case that we're discussing, Healthcare providers need to be educated and also, you know, education on what to do in these situations and and also how to be able to support and comfort women as well. And, you know, just what to do in your state. Like, say, if you went, you're in a state where some laws have changed as far as like abortions and like miscarriages, like what to do. And, you know, 
also how to prioritize the mom and what she is going to. And losing a pregnancy at any stage can be devastating and it leaves you with a range of emotions and a lot of questions. And like you said, Camille, healing emotionally from a miscarriage or a stillbirth is often harder and um, longer than the physical healing. And we need to have these conversations because I think the way the statistics add up, about 30% of pregnancies can result in a miscarriage. And that's just an estimate. It might be higher because a lot of times women don't talk about this or if it occurs so early that they don't, you know, report these things. So we need to have these conversations and we need to be aware and we need to have the language around it. Like everybody, no matter where you work at, because you are going to come in contact with a woman or, or, you know, a birthing body. So we need to be aware of how we talk and how we say things, you know, especially little things like don't make comments on women's bodies because you never know. Like I said, Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are not revealing that they are pregnant until they get past a certain point and that they know that everything is fine. Some people, they may be doing IVF treatments, those hormone replacements. So that might cause you like to gain a little bit of weight and things like that. And, you know, that's a struggle in and of its own. So, you know, educate yourself and, you know, just keep it to yourself. If you're not a hundred percent sure, if that person hasn't shared with you, you know, keep it to yourself. And I also wanted to recommend another podcast that focuses on, you know, centering, and creating a community for Black women who are dealing with a loss of pregnancy. And the podcast is called Sisters in Loss, and it's hosted by Erica Freeman. And her tagline is replacing silence with storytelling around pregnancy and infant loss and infertility. So if you want to learn more, take a deeper dive of this subject, please go and check out that podcast, recommend it to anybody, but um, she's doing great and amazing work. And, you know, that's her focus and specialty. Have you checked out our website? There you can find all of our episodes and show notes. You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at distrustanddisparities.com. So for this week's main story, we are going to discuss the story of Brittany Watts. And this case highlights the extent to which women, specifically Black women, can be prosecuted when their pregnancy ends, whether by abortion or a miscarriage or a stillbirth. And we want to discuss the stillbirth this week in prosecution of Brittany Watts, who is a 34-year-old Black medical receptionist from Warren, Ohio. And she describes herself as quiet and mild-mannered quote, most of the time, just minding my own business. And after learning that she was pregnant, Brittany kept the news to herself, fearing she'd disappoint her mother, whom she is very close with. 
So now we want to run through sort of like the timeline of events um, leading up to the the case, the trial that Brittany had to deal with. So on September 19th, 2023, at that date, Brittany was at 21 weeks and five days into her pregnancy, and she began passing thick blood clots. And this is like approximately like five months in, and that's considered to be in the second trimester. So with this all happening, she visited um, an OBGYN, and she was informed that her water had broken prematurely and that a faint heartbeat was heard, but the fetus was non-viable. So that meant that the fetus would not survive outside of her uterus. And the doctor informed her that she needed to go to the hospital right away to have her labor induced. Otherwise, she would face significant risk of death. And this is all according to um, her medical records. The doctor sent Brittany to Mercy Health St. Joseph Warren Hospital. And that was literally just across the parking lot from the OBGYN's office. And despite it being a short walkable distance, the doctor required Brittany to travel by ambulance. And that was really when it sunk in for Brittany that the situation was very, very serious. And once she arrived at Mercy Health St. Joseph Warren Hospital, medical records show that Brittany was monitored for over eight hours. And she recalled during an interview, quote, I kept asking whoever would come in to check my vitals. I said, have you heard anything? And they were like, oh, well, we're still waiting. We're still waiting. And Brittany waited over eight hours before deciding to leave the emergency department against medical advice. And in leaving, she signed that she understood her risk of complications, including hemorrhage, sepsis, or death. And the doctor's office specifically sent her to the hospital to have an induction done. What we defined in the beginning, they sent her over. You need to go to the hospital right away to be induced to get the fetus out. Because if not, if you wait too long, this could significantly, you know, put you at risk for, you know, like you just read, hemorrhage, sepsis, or death. And she's at the hospital waiting for over eight hours. That's that's such a long time. And I can understand her sort of frustration and nervousness of like, what is going on? And at that point, it's just like, I can't wait here anymore. I want to I want to mm-hmm. go home and wait and be comfortable because this is that's that's so much anxiety. I can't even imagine the feeling. And the next day, September 20th, Brittany returned to the same hospital to have her labor induced. So, you know, she went home and then came back. And again, at this hospital, she waited for about 11 hours for the induction. And she was never induced and again decided to go home. I'm scared. I'm like, there's a non-viable pregnancy in me. Right. Am I going to die? Is there something that you're not telling me that I really, really need to know? So you're worried about your health, too, at this point. Exactly. So I left again without being treated. And Brittany is quoted as saying, I felt frustrated. I felt ignored, which I would understand, too, because now you've spent so much time waiting and waiting and waiting at a hospital 
to have something done that your doctor said needed to be done immediately because your life was at risk Mm -hmm. and you're just sitting on your hands waiting. And so here's why she was waiting, according, I guess, to the hospital. Brittany was unaware that doctors were waiting to hear back from the hospital's ethics committee before they performed the induction due to concerns about Ohio's abortion laws crazy. And this is one of the details I did not know. Like I was researching this case and this came up and I'm like, what the hell? What the hell? It's crazy. It's crazy too that like people think putting these laws in place are protecting anyone. Like, no, you're causing harm. Mm. You're causing so much harm. And the fact that like, why is an ethics committee taking so long? Like these should be Mm. very quick decisions that are being made not you know haphazardly but like this needs to happen as though i don't know her life is in danger because it was exactly because if somebody comes into the emergency department and they're showing signs of sepsis hemorrhage best believe we are doing everything we can to like stabilize this person and to you know either we're trying to get them to a unit we are trying to get them to surgery but we're trying to get to the root of what's causing sepsis or hemorrhage or you know putting their life in danger so I just don't get why it took so long to the point where she left the hospital twice Twice. and she was not notified that She was unaware that they were talking to an ethics committee. Like, where's the communication about this? Like, you need to Mm -hmm. be discussing these things with your patients. You need to be letting people know exactly what is happening so then they can make informed decisions about, you know, what they want to do. Go to another hospital or something like that, depending on, like, the location and things like that. Yeah, for sure. Like, she, like, her only decision to make was, like, I'm going to go home and try to be comfortable at home because, like, being here just isn't it. And she wasn't, she wasn't being communicated with. No one was really explaining what was happening. So a note from the clinical ethics committee consultation was issued around 3.30 PM. And it reads in part, quote, extensive conversation with staff concerns Brittany's verbalization to staff that she wishes to terminate the pregnancy and continues to mention she feels strongly that she is getting or consenting to an abortion to clarify ethics supports induction of this patient. If it is the professional judgment of the physicians that Brittany is at high risk of bleeding or serious infection that could lead to death to be clear with Brittany, if induction occurs, there should be a well-documented conversation with her, you know, quote, informed consent that the procedure is only to prevent harm to her and is not intended to terminate a potentially viable pregnancy. And this whole quote doesn't even make sense because I don't understand the information that was communicated to her at the OBGYN office, why they're even discussing whether or not the pregnancy is potentially viable. Like that doctor mm-hmm. determined it's there was fetal demise and now you need to remove this fetus to protect her life. You can't just let, you know, what happens happens and hope she makes it through. So you go from the doctor's office, they say you have a non-viable pregnancy, or if you're diagnosed with anything at the doctor's office and they send you to go to the emergency department, they are repeating what is done. So they're going to double check. They're going to do scans. You know, they're going to do their own ultrasounds and um, check the fluid levels. And basically the doctor that examined 
Brittany, you know, she confirmed that she had an abruption and a premature rupture of her membrane, which is basically like her water broke prematurely at 21 weeks and that the pregnancy is non-viable. And he also pointed out that she had an elevated white count, which means she's at risk for sepsis. He basically confirmed that her labor needs to be induced or the fetus needs to be evacuated right away before she gets sick. And Brittany got to the hospital at 8 a.m. And the ethics board is, you know, issuing this statement, which like you said, is just legal, you know, covering my ass, basically. That's what it feels like because it's insane. And also they're doing all this when like, Ohio law bans abortions after 22 weeks with exceptions for life-saving care. One, we're already in that exception thing of life-saving care. This is life-saving care for Brittany. But also, she was 21 weeks and six days pregnant. I'm sorry, but 21 is not 22. So what is there even a question about? You are clearly well within the stupid law that you have in place. So what is the problem? And on top of that, even ignoring the weeks like it's life-saving care she needs this so what what are we discussing what is in question it really makes no sense why i wanted to bring up those definitions in the beginning because sometimes the term medical abortion is be can be used in place of say a surgical evacuation or an induction so these things could be thrown around and you know and how you pointed out how the staff was concerned because she was using the term abortion, you know? So that's why they reported it and this whole, oh, she's at 21 weeks, 22 weeks and things like that. But this is, we're talking about, at this point, we've determined that, you know, this baby is not, this fetus is not going to survive outside of Brittany's uterus. So now we need to take steps to, protect the mom so that she doesn't lose her life in place. But instead, we're arguing over the legalities and the term abortion being used. We're not focusing on the central part of her care, what she came in here for. Mm -hmm. And Brittany got to the hospital at 8 a.m. It's now 3 p.m. with this little report. How does it take you this long, the ethics committee? Like, you, she don't have all this time. And the hospital's making Brittany wait to have this procedure as they determine what steps they can take legally. Again, if the law is after 22 weeks, I feel like you should see 21 and move about business and do what you need to do to save her life. And like you said, they're not thinking about Brittany's life at this point. And Brittany was also never told that the ethics committee was involved and she was unaware why the process was taking so long. So that then explains why not once, but twice she left the hospital after waiting hours and hours and hours, so anxious and confused as to what was going on. And three hours after the committee issued its little consultation report, she still had not been induced according to the records. Records also show there was a flurry of calls to the ethics committee around 6 p.m. to try to iron out any remaining issues. But by 6.40 p.m., Brittany had become frustrated, of course, and told a nurse that she could be waiting at home instead. And the nurse told her they only had one more call, but she had had enough. 
And by 7.20 p.m., reports show that Brittany left her hospital room and checked out. And Brittany remembers thinking, quote, I'm scared. I'm like, there's a non-viable pregnancy in me. Am I going to die? (sighs) It's it. It's just so unimaginable what they're putting her through and not communicating with her. But on top of that, I don't like who, who's a part of this ethics committee? Who Who's involved that is taking this long? Do you seriously think in, like these are medical professionals? Are you seriously telling me that someone experiencing this, you think it's acceptable to put them through all these agonizing hours of waiting and waiting when you should know as a medical professional that you are further endangering their life? by making them wait this ridiculous amount of time, especially over something that is very clear cut of what you can do under this stupid law. Exactly. Like you're ignoring Brittany, you're ignoring what the doctors recommended, and instead you're trying to iron out legal issues. You're worried about being sued, you know, and... I remember like reading a quote, you know, hospitals, this is a um, Mercy Medical. So this is probably like a Catholic institution. So where are they getting their funds from and things like that? So they probably, Mm -hmm. one of the quotes was saying they probably have to lean towards the more conservative side to get reimbursements because, you know, they don't want it to find out, oh, you guys are giving like abortions and things like that. You are only thinking about your the hospital. You're not thinking mm-hmm. about this woman's life, this black woman's life at this point. There's no reason she should be waiting this long for legal stuff. It's not like she's waiting for like an operating room or something like that. Mm-hmm. Legalities. Like, this is crazy. Like, I just, you know, I just want to focus on this point because this is crazy. There are laws like if people come to the hospital without insurance, we have to treat them. We have to stabilize them no matter what. So why is, you know, you're so concerned about not breaking this law and this and that. But if it say you have to break this law, say she was at 23 weeks, but she's going to die. You need to break that law. Break and then it. because it's medically necessary. You know, people who are making these laws, they are not women, they are not providers, they don't care about the whole, you know, the person carrying the child. Like, I'm just Mm -hmm. so frustrated with, like, the hospital and stuff like that, like... Yeah, because the the focus on, oh, well, we want to make sure that we're adhering to the law, like, one, again, simple reading comprehension would have told you you were... But two, you shouldn't be running a hospital where people are coming to you in their most vulnerable states and need, you know, life-saving care. And you're like, we got to cross the T's and dot the I's before we can, you know, save your life. It, like, what are you doing? What mm-hmm. are you actually doing? And if anything, you should be able to stand behind the medical care you provide to people and know that whatever happens, you can, if you have to go to some stupid trial some court case that you can stand up there and go we did what needed to be done to save this person's life Mm -hmm. period end of sentence why are you bothering us because you should be able to to stand on what you did you should be able to stand behind your decision of prioritizing a person's life that like Mm -hmm. how is that so difficult to do yeah and most hospitals they have ethics committees that was like looking into this but 
this decision should not have taken this long. It shouldn't. So say these things do have to go through ethics committees, like, oh, we have to do this. It shouldn't take this long. No. It shouldn't. No. Because no. somebody come in not breathing, I need to know what to do immediately. Like, yeah, this makes no sense. Mm. And just to reiterate, Brittany spent a total of 19 hours in the hospital over a span of two days begging to be induced. And she ultimately left the hospital to go home at the end of each of those two days against medical advice because she felt frustrated and ignored by the doctors who weren't inducing her labor despite knowing that her pregnancy was non-viable. And Brittany, she returned home where she said she had dinner with her mom who noticed she was in pain. But Brittany, she just told her she had a stomach ache and she went to rest and she tried to distract herself before going to bed. So just imagine just going through all this alone. Like you just found, you haven't told anybody that you are pregnant and then you found out that you lost the pregnancy. So I can imagine she's probably in shock, you know, Mm -hmm. grief, going to the grieving process, but she's probably like, you know, nobody knew. So I might as well not tell anybody and, you know, just keep this to myself. You know, I just can only imagine what she's going through. Like, and probably so many women probably feel the same thing if anything in your life happens, but nobody knows. And you you don't want to, you probably feel like you're going to burden them or you just don't know how to express this at this time. And, you know, I just feels so bad and just going to the hospital where you're supposed to get help you're supposed to get treatment and they're having you wait in the dark and on September 22nd just before 6 a.m. Brittany said she woke up and she felt something happening and she's quoted as saying I get up and I go to the bathroom I sit down on the toilet and I'm just doubled over and then that's when I hear a splash. And she says she's she looks down and saw the toilet filled to the brim with blood and tissue. And she says she immediately began cleaning herself up using disinfectant wipes and, you know, showering to wash off the blood. And this is a direct quote from Brittany from an interview that she did. And it says, I tried to make an appearance of the bathroom being clean. I grabbed a plunger because the toilet was kind of at the top. I grabbed a bucket and I just tried to scoop out the water and tissue and all the matter. And then I take the bucket outside and I dump the bucket. All while thinking, wow, did that really happen? In my mind, I'm like, no, this is a dream. I'm dreaming, but it really happened. Like, I'm really awake right now. This is really what life is now. And just from this quote, you can tell she's in shock. She doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, just kind of going through the motions. Like, I don't, you know, don't want anybody to walk in and just to see what happened. And, you know, just trying to get herself together. And... After cleaning up, Brittany tried to go on about her day. Like I said, from her quote, it appears like she's just in shock, just doesn't know what to do. And I'll just point out, had, you know, she been in the hospital, you know, none of this would have happened. You know, she wouldn't have been forced to deal with this. And after cleaning up, 
Brittany tried to go about her day. She went to a previously scheduled hair appointment, but as the hairdresser began perming her hair, she noticed Watts was uncomfortable and she expressed concern about her health. She just didn't look right. And Brittany told her, I'm just menstruating, but the hairdresser insisted that she go see a doctor and she arranged a ride to take her to the hospital. And once Brittany got to the hospital, she went to that same hospital. Um, I, I don't even know what the hospital name is at this point, but she went to the same raggedy hospital. Yep, that's what it is. The raggedy <laughs> hospital. That's what right. she went. Brittany was given immediate medical attention as soon as she arrived. She has suffered severe dehydration from the blood loss and Brittany is quoted as saying the nurse reassured her that everything is going to be all right. And while recovering from the stillbirth and also this taking place at home, the police went to the hospital to question Brittany twice. And, quote, the nurse comes in and she's rubbing my back and talking to me and saying, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay, Brittany. Little do I know, there's a police officer that comes into the room a short time later. And I'm wondering, why is a police officer coming in here? I don't recall doing anything wrong. And little do I know, the nurse comforting me and saying that everything was going to be okay was the same nurse who called the police. This seems like they probably called the police less than the 19 hours that she waited. Yeah, you called the the police with a quickness to immediately go, this this woman did something wrong. This black woman did something wrong, even though you should be able to look up that a couple of days ago, she was in this hospital for hours and hours, almost 20 hours waiting and waiting and waiting for you all to induce labor so she could no longer be carrying the non-viable fetus that was in her uterus. So now you're like, "Mm, she done done something. And Mm. it's just so mind boggling that people (sighs) do this BS and think that they're they're decent human beings and that, Mm. you know, I'm looking out for that baby, that fetus. And it's just like, no, you're not. Mm. Because y'all knew from jump when she showed up after coming from across the parking lot in an ambulance mm-hmm. that she needed to be induced. And you you brought it to this point and you're rubbing her back on, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And what, in the back of your mind going like, oh, I can't wait till they arrest her? What is wrong with you? <sighs> Jeez. It, it, it's just frustrating. Like, y'all took that time just to iron out legal issues, but you called... 911 on this lady, you call 911 and immediately, immediately. Just it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I was like looking up this case, I was like, I need more details. I need more details. I was like, a nurse called, y'all had the nurse call. And just from a healthcare provider perspective, the hospital is also looking to cover their ass. They had the nurse call. Why didn't they have the lawyer call? You know, why wasn't somebody from the ethics committee exactly calling, you know? Exactly. And, you know, I don't know what I would do in this situation, but I'm just like, why am I making this call? Why I got all these 
patients. I got to do all this, you know, and it says the hospital risk management team directed the nurse to call the police. And why can't they call? You know, I, I just don't get it. And pushback, like some, we got to push back. Like, why am I calling? I know I'm taking care of this patient, but, and also hospitals, they have social workers. They're... That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Where's the call to the social worker? Where's the call to the <laughs> mental health professional to be like, this woman was just in here. Why are we doing this now while she's recovering? Yes. Like, <sighs> she must have had a pregnancy loss at home. That clearly mm. is what has happened. Why isn't that the automatic thought and go, we need to call a social worker because homegirl ain't good. She ain't right. Exactly. Like, we need to make sure that she is okay. Instead, it was like, mm. oh, no, we need to get police over here so they can arrest her. For exactly. what? Right. That That's what I was like, you know... Social worker. I don't know why I want to use the word clergy, but but there's a specific term. But we have people in the hospital to help comfort families and people when they're going through a loss and they're grieving. Mm-hmm. But we're calling the police while she's here in the hospital. Like this couldn't wait. So she, like, say y'all were really concerned, y'all couldn't wait till she is healed. Then you know, about to be discharged. And like you said, you know, we do. We're required say you're required to report this. But like I said, we're at 21. We were at 21 weeks, you know, we 21 weeks. And like I said, medically necessary for her to have an induction abortion, whatever, to get this, you know, non-viable fetus. But you call 911. I had a mother who um, had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. And I need to have someone find this baby or direct me what I need to do. Did she say if the baby was alive or not? She said she didn't want to look, she didn't want the baby, and she didn't look. So let's talk about this call. Mm. In the 911 call, the nurse tells the dispatcher that she was treating a and I'll quote, mother who had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. And I'm pretty sure this nurse got access to the chart and can pull up her medical records and all this. But she said a mother who had a delivery at home and came in without the baby. And she's quoted as saying, she says the baby's in her backyard in a bucket and I need to have someone go find this baby or direct me to what I need to do. And the dispatcher says, oh, I'm going to be sick. Did she say if the baby was alive or not? And the nurse responds. She says she didn't want to look. And she says she didn't want the baby and she didn't look. And Brittany disputes this claim. She said, I did not want to look. I never said I didn't want my baby. I would never say something like that. It just makes me so sad and angry that somebody would put those types of words in my mouth to make it seem so callous and so hateful. It's the way in which you're presenting this information in the glaring holes, especially where I feel like if she didn't specify certain things, I don't know, it was because she's showing back up at the same raggedy hospital that she was at twice for hours thinking they know all the information. So mm-hmm. why would they be thinking I need to bring the baby in? It was a stillbirth and she literally had 
All she saw was just blood and tissue. That was it. What was she supposed to bring in? And you should be able to clearly look at her records and go like, oh, she was only at 21 weeks. Oh, she was here a couple of days ago. Like all these things should be able to be put together and go, okay, no, of course there, there wasn't a baby to bring in. Of course this is what was going on. And then like just... There's mm. all these extra feelings that are being added in of the dispatcher going, oh, I'm going to be sick. Because, Nat, like, it just, there's so much to this where I, I just don't like any of these people. None of these people should be in these positions. None of them. Exactly. Ugh, I'm just like, and like you said, people, you're bringing in, like, your own emotions and feelings. But you got to look at the chart. Go back to, you know, the ultrasound reports, the doctor's reports. They're clearly indicating she has a non-viable fetus and you're telling them to go, you know, make it seem like she just put her baby in a bucket and put it outside. Like you see, she's come to the hospital multiple times so that she can have her labor induced because, you know, this child is not going to grow to term. And, you know, once the fetus comes out, this baby is not going to be alive. And, you know, it can be tricky with the term fetus and baby and things like that, but you have mm-hmm. to, you know, how you say stuff, it really matters. And also you got to give them the facts. Like she was seen, you're not telling them like she came in three times because, you know, the baby was, you know, the fetus was non-viable and her mm-hmm. lawyer points out that Brittany, she didn't want to, you know, fish out what she knew was a dead fetus from the bucket of blood, tissue, and feces that she scooped from an overflowing toilet. So this is what you're digging through, you know, what she's going through in the middle of the morning. Yeah. And I just can't imagine her mental state. Like I Mm -hmm. feel like what she experienced, like she just had a, she disassociated and was just like, I have to clean up. I have Mm -hmm. to clean up now. And then I'm going to just go about my life because she was also in that, in the position, remember of like, she didn't tell anybody Mm -hmm. and she's still dealing with all of that. And like mentally again, like why wasn't a social worker called? Why Mm. wasn't a medical, like why wasn't a mental health professional called? to discuss everything with her. Like there is no reason to call the police and it's just y'all don't care about her. Y'all don't care about her at all. Nope. And dispatchers for the Warren police department, they called the nurse back for more information. And the nurse told them it's evident. She did give birth. We still have the retained placenta and she was our patient here on Wednesday, pregnant and left. We readmitted her and we were talking her through everything and then she just disappeared. This is how she saw everything. Yeah, this is how she's Mm. presenting it to be like, she was pregnant and fine. You're literally making Mm. it seem like she was perfectly fine. She was pregnant. There was no reason for her to, why is she in the hospital if she's pregnant and, and, and fine? You're literally setting it up as though like, oh no, there was no issue. She was just like, you know, in the hospital here and then she just left and then she disappeared and then like she was pregnant and now she's not pregnant. And it's just the way in which all this is presented. Like you need to no longer be in this position. You need to Mm. no longer be in any sort of healthcare provider position. You do not see 
people as people. You mm. have literally removed all humanity from Britney and completely demonized yeah. her and made up your mind about her. And it makes no sense because the facts say completely otherwise what you're presenting to police officers to mm-hmm. now go after her, hoping that she is prosecuted. Mm. That is your... That, that's your main priority. If anything, it sounds like you need to go into law because you are over here just doing <laughs> right. the absolute most to get this woman prosecuted and not making sure she is getting the medical attention she needs. Mm, yeah, this was just so frustrating. I'm just like, what the hell? Like you're twisting it and contorting things so that this woman can be arrested. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like... At all. At all. Uh, And a Warren police officer was sent to Brittany's hospital room and they interviewed her for over an hour as she's recovering. And other officers were sent to her home to search for the fetus. And Brittany was alerted that the police were going to her home only by the doorbell cam. And... At first, police said they couldn't find the fetus and that it wasn't in the bucket. And then, according to Brittany's attorney, it said that the officer finally submerged his hand into the toilet and felt the fetus. In order to send the remains to the coroner's office, police had to remove her entire toilet. None of this should have happened. None of this should have happened at all. It should have been she went to the OBGYN, she was sent to the hospital and they immediately made the decision, not even made the decision, they immediately agreed with the OBGYN to induce labor to remove the non-viable fetus from her. And that would have been, you know, the end of this part of it. And she could process, you know, whatever grief she was going through. And I would hope that they would also provide her with some sort of mental health services and, you know, understanding she just had a pregnancy loss. But like, this is all just nonsense and BS. This is absolutely ridiculous. Crazy. Like, it shouldn't have went to this. Like, the hospital dragged it out and you know basically she was forced to have you know go into labor at home what if she would have died you know that's what I think what if she would have passed out you know Mm -hmm. or you know because when she got to the hospital they still had to remove like the placenta and things like you know she got a severe infection, sepsis or something. I'm just like, you know, what if she would have died? You know, I'm I'm so glad she didn't. But I'm just like, you know, that's just ha- things about the back of my mind. You know, she went home. She could have fainted from the butt loss, hit her head and, you know, could have been paralyzed or something like that. It's like, you're not thinking about, you know, this woman at all. Like, you, no. you don't care. And then for you to call the police right away. If the y'all know what she went through, y'all y'all know what she's dealing with. She's dealing with a loss, you know, mm-hmm. at 20, 20 weeks. Ugh, I'm just so frustrated. Like this case is just frustrating, you know. And on October fifth, while still recovering from her miscarriage, Brittany was arrested by Warren County Police, and she said she was just in total shock when they placed her in handcuffs and took her 
to the station. And like me, you're like, you know, what are they charging her with? What are they, what what is she being charged with? They charged Brittany with abusing a corpse. Cause tell, tell me where is it clearly laid out for everyone to know? And you learn it everywhere, how to properly have a stillbirth at home. Where, where is that documentation? Where, where, where is that? Is that something that we should have learned, Jasmine, that I am unaware of? Girl. Mm, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Like, what do we tell? Like, even me as a, a medical professional, I'm like, what do we tell? Because I've, you know, been in a situation where, you know, women have miscarriages, you know, and we send them home. And we send them home with, you know, sometimes pills that they have to take to make sure that everything comes out. And I don't recall having a conversation like, you know, wrap everything up in a bag and you light it on fire or you take it here or (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) You know, it's just assumed like you would with, say, like stool, poop, enema, anything it goes down the toilet, you know? Like you said, there's nothing <laughs> about what to do in the case of a miscarriage. And to make the jump to prosecute her for abuse of a corpse, and this is a fifth-degree felony charge punishable up to one year in prison and a fine of 2500 That's insane. And then also what's crazy is that the stupid Ohio state law, an abusive corpse means that it is someone who treats a human corpse in a quote way that the person knows would outrage reasonable family sensibilities or community sensibilities, the vagueness yet clear conservative religious nonsense of pro-life propaganda that is wrapped up into that is oh so frustrating what is reasonable family sense of it what in the world does that even mean exactly and it also seems like they was like what can we charge her with flipping through the book what 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 can fit what <laughs> yep. what what, what yep. can make it work yep. what can we charge her with what what can we do this we, we can do this mm-hmm. something we need she needs to be charged with something. And, you know, her attorney points out this is a very rare charge and she struggled to understand why police were involved at all, given the corpse in question was fetal remains. And there's no real definition of like what a corpse is. And, you know, like you said, this mm-hmm. is just a vague ass law. And y'all were like, we, Y'all just was like, we have to charge her with something. We have to charge her with something. Like, that's it. Her lawyer is even quoted as saying, in the course of representing her, I was met time and time again with, you can't flush a fetus. And I would say, what do you want her to do with it? To which there's no response. Because again, like we were questioning, there, there isn't, you know, clear documented, this is how you handle a miscarriage at home. Like, there there just mm. isn't. And it's just, oh, it's so irksome. Mm. 
So now we're on to November 2nd, 2023, and Brittany is dealing with a preliminary hearing for this ridiculous charge. The judge for the preliminary case was municipal court judge Terry Ivanchok, and the Warren, Ohio assistant prosecutor, Lewis, I ain't going to try to pronounce that last name, argued that Brittany's actions after passing the fetus were at the center of the case. Because, yes, let's focus on someone has gone through a stillbirth at home mm. and she didn't handle it in what was it, a reasonable way? Like comparing it to family sensibilities, community sensibilities. And the prosecutor accused her in court of disregarding the fetus and simply going on about her day, citing her hair appointment. The prosecutor also said, quote, the issue isn't how the child died. Oh, now we're calling it a child. When the child died, it's the fact the baby was put into a toilet was large enough to clog up the toilet, left in that toilet, and she went on with her day. And again, <sighs> you're using terminology and words interchangeably that just aren't true. No, it's f- remains, it's tissue, it's blood, it's feces that's in the toilet. And just the jumping to conclusions Mm-hmm. The criminalizing this woman for how she's grieving. I don't know if anybody has ever been in shock, you know, losing like a loved one or, you know, just had something happen to them. Like even like say you got into like a car accident and you're just like shocked and you're like, I, you on your way to work. I got to get to work. I don't get, I got to get to work. And you don't mm-hmm. realize the magnitude of what's happening. You know, that situation doesn't compare, but I'm just like criminalizing this woman for how she's grieving. It, and how like, Oh, she didn't handle this p- properly when it's, if anything, the first, anyone with, <sighs> Anyone who actually cares about life (laughs) should be like, we need to get Brittany mental help because Mm -hmm. she clearly is struggling hard as a lot of people would in this scenario, especially given that she's going through all of this alone. No one knew Mm -hmm. she was pregnant. So she's experienced this pregnancy loss all alone. And Mm -hmm. she's just like trying to continue to go through the motions and live life and, and not share it. And this is what y'all decide to do. Go. She didn't. She didn't handle that loss in the correct way. Cause I, I just and like the lawyer said earlier, like what was she supposed to do? And there is no response. Exactly. Brittany's attorney was Tracy Timko, and she argued that quote this thirty three year old girl with no criminal record is demonized for something that goes on every day, and that's important. Every day, this happens mm-hmm. every day. Brittany was scared, anxious, and traumatized by the experience. And her lawyer also pointed out that, quote, fetal remains are defined as a product of human conception. Under Ohio law, they are disposed of as medical waste. 
legally speaking, there's no definition of the term corpse directly. So we have to go in a roundabout way to establish a corpse does not include fetal remains. The state defining corpse in a clear way would take the ability for prosecutors away to criminalize a pregnancy outcome in this manner. And again, I feel like the powers that be, the people who made this law, who enacted this, kept it vague on purpose Mm -hmm. so they could do exactly this re-traumatize and create further harm for people who have already experienced something that is so devastating like what is actually wrong with you right or they probably thought nobody would take this law and then apply it to pregnancy at least that's what i would hope You know, this is a reach like this is y'all just want to charge her with anything, with something like, you know, you're just trying to make her an example. And it happens so often to so many women that we probably don't even know or like hear about. You know, Mm -hmm. this case just happened to catch national attention like you're just trying to make her an example and when she should be grieving, when she should be healing, she's going through a court case being demonized, having her words twisted. Mm-hmm. And what's even more frustrating is that all of this is happening prior to an autopsy report. So then finally we get an autopsy report. And it is confirmed through testimony that the fetus died in utero before passing through the birth canal. And in regard to, you know, the whole abuse of corpse, the examination identified no recent injuries. So what are we doing here? Because first of all, this report should have been what was conducted, disseminated to then have everyone go, Brittany did nothing wrong. Brittany did nothing wrong at all. Leave her alone. And instead of focusing on the facts of the case, this is what they decided to, you know, hone in on of like she didn't what therefore dispose of the fetus in the appropriate manner. But you can't even say what the appropriate manner is. (sighs) Yeah. And it's just like it didn't have to come down to this. Like had the hospital, you know, did, you know, what they were supposed to do. It wouldn't I have come down to this? The hospital needs to be prosecuted. That's what yes. I think. They yes. need to be in jail. The ethics committee, yes, nurse, all Everybody those people. Everybody lose their job. Everybody lose their job. And it's not just they lose their job at this hospital, this facility. They don't get another job like this ever. They lose their job. They're no longer in this field because you're therefore able to help protect potential future people from the harm that they will do because they're going to do this again. They're going to do some, mm-hmm. some type of this nonsense again. There's no way in the world because like it's, this is the way this all transpired is so ridiculous. And yeah. also during the preliminary hearing, they were discussing the size and stage of development of Britney's fetus and precisely the point when abortion crossed from legal to illegal in most cases And again, I'm sorry, but we already discussed this, Jasmine. It's 22 (laughs) weeks. She was at 21. Why is this even a part of this? And to make matters worse, this judge, Judge Terry, is quoted as saying, 
There are better scholars than I am to determine the exact legal status of this fetus, corpse, body, birthing tissue, whatever it is. This is the judge. Matter of fact, I'm assuming that's what issue one's all about. At what point something becomes viable. So then at this point, Brittany's case goes on to a grand jury to determine whether she should face felony charges. Because this judge is sitting up there on the bench going, I don't even know what it is, even though that's part of your job. And literally is like, I'm going to pass it off onto someone else and continue this show of nonsense. It <sighs> That's crazy. Like... We have an autopsy report that confirms that the fetus, you know, died in utero before passing through the birth canal. So the child, the fetus was non-viable. We know this. We, we've been know this. We've been talking about it for a minute. And the judge is like, you know, I, I don't have enough information to determine this. And it's like, at this point, we're not even talking about Brittany. We're not focused on the case Instead, we're talking about other things that don't apply to her, you know, talking about abortions and things like this. This was a medically necessary procedure, and we're dragging this woman through court, and then judges saying, oh, I don't have the... This is above me, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> this why is you- above me. Why are you getting paid for this? Like, <laughs> Again, why? lose your job. You don't need to be in this position. If you're seriously going to tell me you heard the autopsy report and still went, uh, someone else should look at this. Other people need to, they need to make a decision. You don't need to have that job. What is wrong with you? So, you know, as anyone listening can tell, Jasmine and I are outraged at all of this nonsense. And so were the people who learned about all of this and then also saw that Britney's charges weren't dropped after that nonsense of a preliminary hearing. And one activist is quoted as saying, for rights of people with the capacity for pregnancy, this is huge. Her miscarriage was entirely ordinary. So I just want to know what the prosecutor thinks she should have done. If we are going to require people to collect and bring used menstrual products to hospitals so that they can make sure it is indeed a miscarriage, it's a ridiculous and invasive as it is cruel, which Mm -hmm. is like so true because you're not even stating what it is that she should have done. What what should she have done to make like the autopsy report clearly lays out everything occurred like Brittany said, and she did nothing Mm -hmm. wrong. In November, while all this is happening, Ohio voters approved Issue 1, which was a ballot measure establishing a constitutional right to abortion until the point of viability, which is usually determined to be around 24 weeks of pregnancy. And the Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights were key supporters for this amendment, protecting access to reproductive health care. And they lobbied the prosecutors to drop the charges against Brittany. And they also demanded that this is a dangerous trend of criminalizing reproductive outcomes and they wanted it to be halted. But the prosecutor insisted that it was not within his power to drop the charges. Sure. Okay. Sure. 
Sure. So, again, we're in November. Now, January 11th, 2024. Finally, on January 11th, an Ohio grand jury decided that Brittany would not be indicted. And Brittany's attorney said that Brittany was painted as a, quote, young, unmarried black woman that did not comply with their orders to keep waiting. And the hospital weaponized the police, which is just Mm -hmm. so terrifying given (laughs) what a hospital represents for people in need. And Mm -hmm. Brittany hopes her story can bring about change. And she said, speaking out now, because, quote, I don't want any other woman to go through what I had to go through. And she believes that she was charged because of my skin color, honestly, and because there are no laws behind what you are to do in this situation. And her attorney stated, quote, through education and legislation, we can make sure no other woman must set her grief and trauma on a back burner to muster the strength to fight for her freedom. Yeah, this this case was was crazy. It it shouldn't happen. It it should no. not have happened at all. No. We should not be talking about this. We should not be talking about this. This episode probably gonna be over an hour or a two parter. Like, because there's so many steps where it it shouldn't happen. It could have been stopped. It could have. There were so many places along the way so many people who were in positions to stop it from happening after it had already gotten to a point that it never should have gotten to and yet it just kept snowballing and going and going and going and then finally it took a grand jury going wait a second what she didn't do anything what we're not we're not gonna say that she should be indicted And that was finally the end of it after an ordeal that started in September and ended in January. Mm. She should have been able, like her attorney said, to not put the grief and trauma of experiencing a pregnancy loss on the back burner and be able to process that in September and, and be going through that and not deal with a whole ridiculous charge of nonsense. Mm. This is crazy. And this is 2024. We just, why are we still doing this? Like we talk about all the time. History is f-ing repeating itself. Why in 2024 are we fighting for basic reproductive rights? Why are our tax dollars being used for like this to take yes. a case to court? Yes. You know? It's just. Why? It's mind-boggling. Why? Mm. And of course, the hospital don't got no comment. The police department don't got no comment. You know, they go right along with our tax money and tax dollars to do this. You know. Mm. Just, there's just so Mm. many people I want to slap the out of. (laughs) (laughs) Girl. (laughs) Girl, <laughs> I really do. Girl. On behalf of Brittany and all the other people who have endured this bullshit, 
Oh, mm. let us lay hands. Let us lay hands. Yes. <laughs> and you better not cut this out. Keep this. Because, <laughs> you know, move, we in our Cat Williams era. We telling it how it is. Like, we want to slap <laughs> out of them. Because <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, if you don't feel that way, I am questioning. What What, what do you feel then? Can mm. you imagine? Mm-mm-mm. If you are enjoying this episode, you should consider buying us a coffee. Yes, a coffee. That small gesture will help us continue to create quality episodes and content. Click the Buy Me a Coffee link in the show notes or check out our website at distrustanddisparities.com. And before we keep talking about smacking people and all this and that, you know, Let's segue into our second part. You know, what gives us hope? Because looking up the details of this case, I was just like, ugh, you know, mm, piss, 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 piss. Mm. But, you know, while we have this second part, and I hope you guys stick around for it, is because these organizations, they give us hope that, you know, there can be better outcomes, that there does not have to be another Brittany, you know, going through this. So that's why we like to highlight organizations working to dismantle these racist, sexist, oppressive f-ing systems. Like, mm. And this week we want to highlight in our own voice a national black women's reproductive justice agenda. And in our own voices is a national state partnership focused on amplifying the voices of black women leaders to secure reproductive justice for all women, girls, and gender expansive individuals. And Their mission is to educate and mobilize Black women, femmes, and girls on issues like abortion access, contraceptive equity, and comprehensive sexuality education. In Our Own Voices is working to build a powerful and sustainable network of Black women activists through strategies including advocacy, and policy change, leadership development, and movement building strategies. Like all this is needed. Like I touched in the beginning, education, policy change. We need leaders. Like we need to be in these spaces where these laws are going on and they need to completely come down. Like this is why I selected this organization because they're working on a national level, partnering with multiple organizations to put Black women and our health at the forefront. And in our own voice, they express relief at the outcome of Brittany's case, and they release a statement saying, what happened to Brittany Watts is a grave example of how Black women and their bodies face legal threats simply for existing. And this was released by the president and CEO, Dr. Regina Davis Moss. And she says, in regards to Brittany, 
her story is one that is becoming alarmingly common in states with abortion restrictions. Black women, girls, and gender expansive people are being surveilled, arrested, prosecuted, and punished for pregnancy loss. And I just want to read a few things from their website. Like I said, they have great information and education, just keeping us abreast of what's going on because so many things are happening. Like I said, Brittany's case is just one case, but there's so many things going on that we're not aware of. So they do post a lot of information and that's why they're advocating for policy change and education and also training women to be leaders. And I just want to read this in our own voices is rooted in human rights and black feminism. And they say reproductive justice is the human right to control our bodies, our sexuality, our gender, our work, and our reproduction. That right can only be achieved when all black women and girls have the complete economic, social, and political power and resources to make healthy decisions about our bodies, our families, and our communities in all areas of our lives. This was one reason why I selected this organization because they're talking about in order to take care of your reproductive health, we have to focus on the complete picture, you know, all the social determinants of health, resources, political access. Like we need to focus on all of these things. And they point out Black women do not live single issue lives. We face structural barriers that serve to undermine our rights and uphold injustices. These barriers are rooted in white supremacy, misogyny, and homophobic ideology. Often, these races and sexist ideologies are reinforced by government policies, cultural institution, and even in our own homes and communities. As a result, Black women, girls, and gender expansive individuals have less access to reproductive health care, experience poorer health outcomes, and face significant obstacles to achieve our full economic, social, and political power. Mm. You know, that's just such a powerful statement. And Check out their website. They're doing amazing work. We want to support this organization, just uplift them because they're centering our voices and they're coming together to make a change because we're seeing this more and more. And like how we pointed out, you know, Brittany is just one case, but this is happening to women all over the country. So like we need more than lip service so that this doesn't happen again. So, you know, follow them, check out their information, share it. Um, If you can, you can donate, things like that, but go support them in whatever way you can. And we just want to uplift this organization because of what they're doing to, you know, prioritize black women and our health. And not just reproductive health, because, you know, like they say, we do not live single issue lives. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
Do you have recommendations for topics we should discuss about health disparities or injustices? Guests we should interview doing amazing health justice work. Or organizations we should highlight creating positive change for marginalized communities. Please visit us at distrustanddisparities.com or email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn.